watched a movie last night Yeah, I've never seen this one before Yes, I swear it's brand new And I'm sharing it with you I watched a movie last night And now I'm sharing it with you December 25th, 2012, with a Metacritic score of 81, the 58th best movie on IMDb. Today, we just watched Django Unchained. I, want, I wanted to do that little the Django theme, the way they do that thing, but I just, I just, I just can't. <laughs> what a good movie, JT. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, Tarantino, of all the Tarantino works, uh, not his best but a very, very good one. And one that we have talked about on the podcast before, because with an 81 and such a, such a strong sort of appreciation for this film, you had not seen it until very recently, even though it is almost 10 years old at this point. That's right. I watched it. Oh my gosh. It's all blend. I watched it in 2020. I think in <laughs> <laughs> the summer in the septoc, no December ish frame. Right. But I also, if you told me it was March, I'd believe you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of the beautiful things about 2020 is it is just the longest and one singular thing. It's basically just like the longest day. It was Groundhog Day for a whole year. It was great. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. But it was like Groundhog Day where where, the, where every time Bill Burr-Murray wakes up, the world's actually a little worse. <laughs> that'd be an interesting twist on Groundhog Day. That'd be a that'd be a clever little little take on. Basically, just like the worst choose-your-own-adventure story of all time. Every day, there's just one thing that gets progressively a little bit worse, and then eventually you die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can keep going on the shtick. It's like, I'm, I'm riffing, but it could be like, uh, if 2020 was Oregon Trail, the video game, every day is dysentery day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, this has nothing to do with Django Unchained, but we could definitely pivot from Oregon Trail because there's like... Horses and carriages, and that's in Django. That's in Django and Chain. So let's move into Django and Chain. I think that was quite gracefully done, sir. Quite that's gracefully the best done. I got. So in keeping on brand, JT, because you just watched this, I've been thinking a bit about it, and I've got five questions to guide us through our little little convo of the day here. I love five questions. Perfect. Let's start with the first question. All right, and I'll be I'll be really candid. They go in order of like serious moviness to. Just playing. Perfect. All right. First up, between Christoph, Leo, Jamie, and Carrie, because I'm on the first name basis with all of them, as, as you could imagine. And I'm deliberately not including Samuel L. Jackson in that list, because I think those four are the real leads of the movie. Although Samuel L. Jackson, I do want to talk about him and his amazing performance. Of those four, who, who like... Who just is the movie to you? And I know it's Jamie Foxx's vehicle, but like they are all so standout in this movie. I don't even think Carrie had that much screen time, but she was great in it. Like, what what, what do you think? So, very good question. Uh, I think it's smart to leave Sam because I also am just friends with all these very famous people out of it. Uh, for me, first of all, all four of them nailed it. Wouldn't change a thing. Leonardo DiCaprio was transformative in this because he hadn't played a bad guy in a while. And this was such a charismatic, like almost like you hate him. You have to hate this guy. Oh yeah. But you, 
you kind of like him as a, you know what I mean? Like he, he just, there's there, there was charm. He instilled a lot of charm into this just awful human being. And that's really hard to do. I mean, as, as far as like their performance, I think Leo's is probably top. I think Jamie is very, very close. Then I would go Kristoff and then I would go Carrie. Uh, but all of them were well above an eight. I mean, everybody nailed this. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good 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 one on this. I'm I gotta say I've been reordering them each time I think about it. I at first for a long while when I first had this question, I actually have been convinced that Christoph Waltz, Waltz stole the show the whole time. But the more I actually then rewatched some of his bits from Inglorious Bastards and some other stuff, the more I realized a he's just a phenomenal actor, and b I know that I have a. a subtle bias to you know characters who just seem incredibly competent at what they are and do yes. like yes. like john wick like like yeah yeah i love i have a, i love characters like that i love characters who like get on the screen and look look down their their opponent or the wherever and say listen this is exactly what's about to happen and then exactly that thing happens that's like one of my favorite tropes in a movie so I'm discounting a few of his points. I I got so I, I I went back and forth a bit. I actually ended up with Jamie Foxx's performance as my favorite of the movie because again I, I looked at a few other things he's done, not including uh, Amazing Spider-Man two, and <laughs> he always has an intensity about him. He's he's which, which is crazy because if you ever watch interviews or him on like Fallon or whatever, he's also like this super like silly lighthearted charming guy and then he gets on screen and it's just like i would not want to be stared down by jamie fox for a half a second you yeah. know what i mean yeah absolutely so i really think he dialed it up even further here i think he really really channels whatever it is that an actor does to get like that part like he is django in this movie starts to finish and I love him and I love his performance. And so he's my top. I got to put Leo second for the same reason you said. And then I'm actually putting uh, Kerry Washington third only wow. because I think I love Christoph's performance, but I don't think he actually had to push himself that far to do this performance. Does that make See, sense? That, that's perfect. That, that I totally agree. So Kerry was probably, I actually, you, you might be convincing me to flip those two because Christoph was perfect, but he also was very much kind of himself. Uh, whereas Carrie Washington had to like really, there's a couple scenes specifically, the fear that she has in this movie was really like striking. Like it was very, very evident. Right. Um, whereas he was amazing, but he was kind of like, again, the reason he gets cast and stuff like this, he also does a lot of Tarantino stuff like this because he can do that like very few other actors I think ever could. Right. Uh, so I don't want to discount how amazing he is, but also it's a, it's a little bit less impressive, but I also just want to touch on, you bring up a really important point with Jamie Foxx. The, the amount of scenes that he had in this, where he wasn't talking and stole the scene is really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. really impressive. Yeah. I, that's, that's a, that's a great observation. I read something really interesting while, while doing a little homework this week. So Carrie Washington took the role because she wanted to take the damsel in distress part a b because there has never been a black female damsel in distress in a hollywood major motion picture kind of thing 
And she really wanted to do that. So, cause I went and there had been a little flack, like, uh, you know, the, the weak female lead kind of character and it's fully, fully deliberate, which I, now that I know that I'm like, Oh, that that's really cool. Oh, I didn't know that. And that is really cool. That changes, that makes it even more impressive. I think. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's neat. So while we're talking about the cast and we're not on question two yet, we're st- still in, still in question one territory. What what do we think about Samuel L. Jackson in this movie? So funny enough, uh, I almost used him recently for characters that angered me because I have hated so few people <laughs> as much as I wound up hating that character. Uh, he was so good in this and it's such a despicable role, but it's also like, a tough subject to broach to be completely candid, like as a sure. white dude, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he was great. I, I agree, by the way, I, it was one of those, Oh yeah, that would have fit into that episode real well. Cause he made me angry too. Yeah. I have to assume he made himself angry. Like I, I get the, I, I, I just think he was channeling his inner Samuel L. Jackson rage at his own character to play this character because it's so despicable. Yeah, I think so. Uh, one of my like closest friends, Mike, uh, occasionally I will, if I'm struggling with a list or I feel like I'm missing something, I will ask. There's two people I ask. I ask Mike and I ask Archie. And I asked Mike about the anger episode and this he came out with this immediately. He was like, I hate Samuel Jackson and Django with Shane. And I was like, I do too, but I'm not super comfortable because like the thing is, is like there is some historical like accuracy sure. to this, right? Like That's a real thing. Yeah. Uh, but oh man, he was so good in this. He was, and I, I, I assume that he did have to hate it. I can't like, this is one of those fun things where I don't want to step on other questions. Cause I don't know what they are, but like a recast of that role is impossible. There's nobody else that plays that role that way. It would have to be a completely different role. I, I just, he was so good. So good. Yeah. I think if I remember, I had done a little trivia diving, but I didn't go too far. I think he was handpicked. Like this was Tarantino. Because Tarantino, generally speaking, casts his movies the way he wants to from the beginning. Yep. Like he writes their characters for the actors uh, or vice versa, whatever. Uh, so I, I'm pretty confident that Samuel Jackson was picked for that part. Yeah, he. I, I know that there was a long list of people that were on the table for Django. Like it was like Will Smith and Terrence Howard. I think Chris Tucker, Eldris Alba. Like there's a whole laundry list of people that would have been interesting uh, but I'm really happy it went to Jamie Foxx. I now just want to see some impersonator do Chris Tucker doing this role, doing Django with his fifth element uh, personality. <laughs> with Ruby? <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to see. All right. Get after it, Internet. All right, what's next? Question number two. Between this and Inglorious Bastards, uh, now I need your input here. I, I don't recall. Have you seen Hateful Eight? Because I have not. I have. Okay, so I don't know the I don't know enough about either Kill Bill nor Hateful Eight, so so you're going to help flush out the the Tarantino universe for a second. So the question is: Is Tarantino getting film revenge on real world villains? He took down Hitler, and now he's taking down slave owners. Is he uh, is is that a theme in either of those two movies at all? Like, are they historical fiction in any way? So not Kill Bill definitely isn't. So not not in the Kill Bill world. In the Hateful Eight, no, the Hateful Eight, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of getting after the law in the in Hateful Eight, like mildly. 
but not not like it's not a takedown like these two like the two you just mentioned which are takedowns for sure uh that's so, interesting though so you think it's a deliberate thing because if so i've earmarked that his next two movies should be about either stalin or mao so that's first of all hysterical second of all i hope you're right because that would be that would be brilliant um i've never thought of that but i've never thought of this before it's a, that's an interesting catch that he is just sort of like taking down because he's a commentary guy, right? There's always like, a, there's always, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes not so subtle. That's right. <laughs> but there's always commentary behind all the stuff that he does. Uh, the Hateful Eight, unfortunately, I actually really didn't like. Of all the stuff that he's done, it's it's probably, it might be my least favorite. Oh man, that's this is fun. Now I'm trying to think of what else he could potentially tackle. <laughs> we could maybe, uh, maybe tweet a list at him or something. We should, all I right. like this. All right, and you, uh, you were, you were, you were flirting with disaster there when you were, uh, were chatting a moment before. But could this movie be recast? Wait for it, with any one of the following four. Okay. Nicole Kidman, <laughs> Skeet Ulrich, <laughs> Baby Dennis Quaid. Okay. Or Billy Zane. All right. Let's start at the top. Nicole Kidman, yes, could have played uh, Leo's sister, whose name I don't remember. Mm. But I think she could have absolutely done that role, and it would have been That's a weird it. thing, but she could have. You know, it's funny. I couldn't. I, I, I my answers as, as well. I could not place her in anything. That's a good. That's a good pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she wouldn't take a role like that anymore. But like, no. But but she could pull it off. But she should just to be like how far. Like this is a thing I actually think about a lot. If I was an actor, I would take. Like, even though it's kind of a, a jerk move because you're taking money from other working actors, I would take bit parts as like, like, I would just be like Michael Sarah serving hot dogs behind, like in a scene for no reason. You know what I mean? Like, I would just be in and out, no words, like not even getting like minimum pay. Just be like, hey, I was there. I just like, yeah, look at me, look at me in that movie. <laughs> like, uh, like Matt Damon and Sam Neill in uh, Thor uh, Ragnarok. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay. Who was next? Next uh, was Skeet Ulrich. So Discount Johnny Depp, I think, could have done... I would have been interested to see him actually try to pull off Leo's character. Skeet can act. He's done some acting. He's done some real acting. He can act. I peg him a little more on the part uh, that our, our one of our other favorites, uh, Mr. Goggins... Uh, played Walton Goggins. I don't remember oh, the character name. Yeah, uh, Billy something. Yeah, I, I could have seen Skeet in, in one of those kind of roles. I don't know. I don't think he could have. I, I'll be candid. I don't think he could have pulled pulled off Leo's role, but I think he could have pulled off any one of those. I, I the, interesting. I definitely I agree with you 100. He absolutely would have been very good in one of those smaller roles. I would have loved to see him try because I don't think we've seen Skeet do a whole lot. <laughs> recently not I, I mean i don't think it's clearly not enough because i want to make sure that people know even though we call him discount johnny depp i do love skeet Ulrich. like i'm a i'm a fan i want him to come back oh yeah i, I again i don't know anything about those inside hollywood it, it's it's one of those zerg nets why the hollywood won't cast uh, skeet Ulrich <laughs> is probably a thing but uh i don't know the, the the story there i was liking him too back in the scream era and all those he, he seemed like an up-and-coming uh pack member of some if there had been a 90s pack or something for sure uh okay so the next was was baby quaid next correct so in other words you're casting a 18 to 25 year old dennis quaid not a grown-up dennis quaid i mean that's a grown-up age but you know what i mean right um 
maybe Quaid, I think I would have put... Oh, this is tough. It's tough because I know Billy Zane is next. That's what's tough because I want to put Billy Zane in everything. <laughs> You're, listen, the, the rule of this question is pretty vague. You you can actually cast all of them in the same part if you want. I like you, the, you can have four different renditions. They're all fictional universes. So don't don't worry about creating uh, some some conflicts here. No, but I like the continuity of trying to place them all. It's more fun for me. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think I would put Baby Quaid in Leonide Mogi role, which is Dennis Christopher, who we've talked oh, about yeah. from Breaking Away. I'd have him be like the young Baby Quaid, I think would have been a good lawyer guy in the background because he's like, you know, kind of an important character and he's around and kind of a henchman sort of way, but in the like sophisticated brain instead of like strong muscle. Um, I wouldn't have wanted him in one of the bigger roles. I like him in the, that would have been the role, which is actually really funny because I'm putting him in a role. I'm taking a role away from one of his former co-stars. <laughs> Fair enough. I have a hard time seeing him in this. I think he then he he's, he's not the kind of actor for, first of all, he couldn't, I don't see him flipping and being one of the bad guys. Like I, I don't even know if Dennis Quaid's ever played a bad guy. He just seems like a fine upstanding young man who's now a fine upstanding old man. Like just, you want him in that lawyer, like if there was a part where it was like a really like good sheriff kind of sheriffing about and not like getting into it all that, that would have been a good one. I don't, I don't have a spot for him, unfortunately this week. Yeah. I, I think I'm actually stretching a little bit to get him in. Uh, I wouldn't actually want to cast him over Dennis Christopher, who I thought did a really good job as Mogi. Um, but if I had to put him, that's definitely where I would put him, which leaves Billy Zane. And uh, I could put Billy Zane all over this thing because I like Billy Zane so much. I think he could have done DiCaprio's role. I think that would have been a different interpretation for sure, but I would have liked it. I want to put him in Billy's in Billy, which was um, Walter Goggins role, but I or Walton. I always want to call him Walter. It's not his name. Um, uh, However, I don't know if I, I don't know if Billy Zane can play dumb. Mm, Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Like, I think yeah. he's too smart for that role. I, I don't think I would buy it. Like, he, there's, there's just too, there's an air of, of something, of, of intellect about him that I don't think he could play down. Not to say Mr. Goggin wasn't wonderful in this, and he also seems smart too. <laughs> Fair, although I did, I, I think that we, we talked about this a few weeks ago when I, when I rewatched uh, Back to the Future, and he's one of the Biff's henchmen. Yeah. He definitely, teenage Billy Zane certainly has like a duh kind of look about him. But I agree. Like when you, when you see him on stage, his his eyes carry a certain uh, certain brightness. I actually would be interested in seeing him taking Leo's role. I think he could have nailed it because yeah. picture the smarminess from Titanic. Yeah, you know, you take that in. Like that is most of this role. You know, Leo rounds it out in so many other ways. But I think if that is kind of the core essence of um, what's the oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his character name all of a sudden. Um, uh, the candy, candy. Yeah, I don't remember. From, candy, from... yeah, because the place is Candyland. Yeah, it's, it's something candy. Calvin. Oh, Calvin. Oh, Calvin Candy. Oh, I thought you were talking Calvin. about Billy Zane from uh, Titanic. I'm like, I have no idea what what thing was. Oh no, I can't remember that at all. Yeah, yeah Calvin I, Candy. I, yeah, I think he. I think he did a really good Calvin Candy. Like, I would be happy with that kind of a casting. Yeah, the the only thing, and the reason I I agree with you, the reason I think it would have been different though is because the 
the the like southern boy warmth that Leo has, I don't think Zane would have done. I think he would have been a much sort of stronger. I don't I don't know how to really describe it, but like there like some of that charm that I was saying earlier, where you you really buy the relationship with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Leo. I, I have a hard time feeling that same relationship the way that I assume that Zane would play this. I think that's well said. I think Billy's more of a, he has more of that aristocratic yes. smarminess and, and Leo's got a bit different kind of smarminess. Yeah. They've had to slightly shift the way they make the part work, right? You would have to have been, he's not a Southerner. He's maybe like a Northern transplant right? and, and then play off that or something like that. Cause I gotta be honest. The one thing I can't get past is there's no way I could see Billy Zane with those teeth. I couldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, they'd have to improvise in a different way. Yeah. All right. Question numero four O. I will give you five very popular movies from the year 2012. Okay. You will rank them in order of ticket sales. Got it. Okay. Okay. So I picked five. I actually used IMDb from what they ranked popularity, and I have cross-indexed with our favorite source of actual revenue. I did do the adjusted for modern-day inflation bit because it's the same I think. Okay. Our five movies include, of course, Django Chain. Uh, I'll do alphabetical order for all the rest. Avengers, Dark Knight Rises, The Hobbit Part 1, and The Hunger Games Part 1. And I guess technically it's The Avengers Part 1. So really I'm saying Dark Knight Part 3, Avengers Part 1, Hobbit 1, Hunger Games 1. <laughs> and an original okay. movie called Django Unchained. Right. Uh, okay. So I think... Oh, see, it's, it's so this is tough. All right, my assumption is that Django was fifth. Then I I'm gonna put Hobbit fourth. Then I'm gonna put Dark Knight. Then I'm gonna put oh, then I'm gonna put Hunger Games. Then I'm gonna put Avengers. So Avengers one, Hunger Games two. Dark Knight 3, Hobbit 4, Django 5. All right. Now, first of all, Django Unchained was the 26th highest grossing movie of the year, behind lots of other movies. Okay. But of the rest, we have, let's see, so you had Django 5th. So of the list, you were correct. You had Hobbit in 4th. I did. That was correct. It was actually the 6th highest grossing movie of the year. Okay. You then had Dark Knight Rises in 3rd. It was incorrect. It was the second highest grossing movie of the year. By the way, $448 million. Hunger Games, you had second. It was the actual third. And Avengers was, of course, number one. Okay. A lot, a lot, a lot of money. Just a lot. So funny is I really, I just remember Hunger Games being a bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. And so I think I was over-indexing it. Like there was a, a moment in my brain where I went, I wonder if he did this question because... Hunger Games is going to be number one. And then I was like, no, no, no. Avengers is ridiculous. So I, but I think it was probably higher. So good for Dark Knight Rises, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It was real. I mean, I, you remember the build up to that and the, yeah. they did that sneak release of like nine minutes of footage where you couldn't hear anything. And then everybody's like, Hey, we can't hear anything. And they're like, well, we're releasing it anyway. So go ahead. Yeah. 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 That part. Yeah. Um, okay. The, Post-penultimate question on the list. 
You're so proud of yourself right now. <laughs> First, a little uh, storytelling and some trivia for you, buddy. In yeah. 1966, there was a movie named Django. This movie is effectively a, not quite a reboot, a re-inspiration type of thing. Okay. Exactly the way we, you and I talk. Like, this is exactly what they should do. So once upon a time, they made this movie. And we're going to, like, use that to make a new movie. They Tarantino just wanted to pay homage to it by having the same name. Got it. Uh, but it is a similar kind of story. Uh, a little less Civil War racism. A little bit more Western with, uh, with racists as kind of the bad guys. Not, not quite as much uh, social commentary. Um, Got it. Because it was made in 1966, and nobody did that then. Right. <laughs> it starred a man named Franco Nero, who, yeah. by the way, has a cameo in Django Unchained. Oh, fun. He's been in... Uh, well, wait. He was the villain. He was the, uh, the, the military leader or whatever in Die Hard 2, the guy who was on the plane that they were waiting to land and say, like, that guy. Okay. He has a cameo in John Wick 2 fascinating because like to movie making people this guy is like a legend he he's like one of the biggest actors in italy turns out he also married and was married to vanessa redgrave and still is i believe good for him he was natasha richardson's stepfather because she she came from uh she was vanessa redgrave's daughter and the man has accumulated as of this moment 239 acting credits holy moly so look at that. Never heard of the guy before today, which makes me feel like I should be doing more homework. Apparently, me too. Here's what's craziest about this. So they made this movie Django in 1966, and and this Nero was Django. It was super, super popular, like insanely popular. So much so that it has spawned uh, some, I don't know what the word I'm going to use is here, um, fake sequels. Oh, okay. Apparently, people love this movie so much that, and I guess copyright rules were a little weaker in the mid-60s. There are, on one page alone that I'm looking at, 42 rip-off Django sequels. That is so many. <laughs> There's one legit one starring Mr. Nero, but all the rest are not. They borrowed the character, set him off doing things. Now... There is no Django versus Mothra, but I will tell you, many of these have bizarre names. I'm going to give you a list of Django ripoff sequels. Okay. You're going to have, we're going to see how many you can guess were actually movies. <laughs> okay. I love this. So I, I made up a few. I love it. Okay. So I will keep, I will keep score for us. We'll see how Perfect. you do. The total list is, I don't know why it was not meant to be, clever i went to oh no i went to 12 i was about to say i went to 11 but i wasn't trying to be all i go to 11 uh i went to 12 just because i was having fun with it and then it was recording time so uh and i've ordered them in the way i want some of these are real some of them are not good luck ready ready django shoots first real correct django prepare a coffin (laughs) oh no i'm gonna say fake Real. <laughs> Django at Midnight. Real. Fake. Okay. Django kills softly. 
<laughs> nice Roberta Flack reference. Uh, I'm going to say it's real. Real. Yeah, great. The Valley of Django. Fake. Fake. Banjo and Django. Oh, that's real. Fake. Ah, uh, too bad. <laughs> I was quite proud of that one, to be honest. That's a good one. <laughs> a few dollars for Django. Uh, real. Real. The Last Days of Django. Fake. Fake. Django, the Honorable Killer. Real. Correct. Viva Django. Uh, fake, but I want it to be real. Real. Yes! <laughs> Flaming Hot Django. <laughs> real. No, those are Doritos. That's uh, too bad. I want it to be real. <laughs> and last but not least, Nude Django. Real. Absolutely. <laughs> Congratulations, you got 8 out of 12. I feel pretty good about my performance today. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I miscounted. You did not get eight. Ooh. No, you got six, buddy. That's that's fine. Fifty percent passing as far as I'm concerned. Mm, no. Mm, that's not even the that's not even the D. Although in, in the Django verse, I'll we'll we'll declare it a passing grade. The fact that there really is a new Django and Django kills softly. I had a lot of fun doing this. There were a lot more in Spanish and I didn't want to go translate. <laughs> But, like and by the way, every country did this. There's a Japanese Django movie. There's like Django all over the world kind of stuff. It's like it's crazy to think that there's this. Like I'm not surprised, especially not surprised because it's. I mean, this is something Tarantino would definitely do. Uh, would be a nod to like old film, like obviously, specifically if it had any Western mentality to it whatsoever. Yeah. So before we end, I do have one thing that I want to ask you which is you stayed away from this one and you stay away from some of his stuff because you're not into the gore. So this one, I actually don't like there's two scenes specifically that he actually toned way down from what he originally had in the movie because he was afraid he was going to scar people is literally, I think what he said his language was. I would assume, can I guess is the, is the first one when, when they actually free Django and they let the, uh, the, they let the other slaves go do what they will. No. Oh, because that was when that moment hit in the movie. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to look away for a moment here. I'm not going to. They are going to destroy this guy. And then I think they just shoot him in the face or something. And they even do it off camera because that's how good Tarantino can be. He remembers the days where you could just shoot a guy off camera and don't have to recreate his face digitally and all that kind of stuff. That's true. It's not that. Maybe it's the whole final like destruction of Candyland. Not that either. No. Oh, 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 the uh, the hounds, right? The, the hound hounds. scene yeah. was supposedly way worse. Yeah, way I didn't know. When that, that was, actually, it's funny because I now that you're bringing it up, now I remember this. When watching, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to trust my boy Quentin right now because he hasn't let me down throughout this movie. So I'm probably not, and, and, I, and I really didn't want to watch, but it was like in that realm of okay. But right. But it's still like they've still filmed that in a pretty horrifying way, I think. I, I actually, again, like major kudos for the self restraint of, of what they did with it, but still definitely over a line of what I even need to see or hear in, in such a movie. Yeah. So the other one was the, uh, it was that and the Mandango scene were the two where ah, like, yeah, yeah. apparently he like, like pulled this way back. All right. So that being said, 
with that with the gore factor, this movie is still worth it for you. Well, it's 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 fine. It's exact. It's I, I I'm not gored out by this one by the least. It's it's definitely it's definitely embraced sort of the more modern level of things. What I actually appreciate, even if I hadn't known that, but had you just brought the topic up of gore in general in the movie, I actually would say that based on the way modern storytelling goes and based on our new comfort levels with what's in and what's out of, 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 of scenes, I'm pretty good with how this one rolls out. Like, I like that you don't have to see things to know that they're awful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the more filmmakers can let our, our imaginations work for good or for bad, I think that's a that's maybe he's trying to now switch back to like recreating that lost art of I don't have to show you everything for you to know what happened. Yeah. All right. And then lastly, we'll end with if you had to rate this from a let's say from true romance to a pulp fiction, where do you rate this? If I have to rate this from a true romance to a pulp fiction, it's it's a Tim Roth shy of a reservoir dogs. That's a great answer. <laughs> That's a great, great answer. I love that. Uh, all right. Good episode, Jer. We did it. Good, good stuff. See you next time in the Lo-Fi Top 5. Now the time has come for leaving fear. Now we shall return. We were so glad we could make it, but so sad we got to run. Well, it might be a long time till we raise another glass. Can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh. Yeah, we'll have ourselves a laugh.